This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. The Bible says that, that everything about the Old Testament was a type and a shadow for us. What that means is it paints a picture of what Jesus would do and fulfill. Jesus fulfilled everything that there was about the Old Covenant. If there was one thing that the Old Covenant did that Jesus didn't fulfill, then that means he wasn't a worthy sacrifice. That means the Old Covenant would still be better as far as a way to God, right? Well, we think of Jesus, and the Bible says Paul wrote to us and said, Christ is our Passover who was sacrificed for us. We think of Jesus because he was killed or crucified around Passover. We think of Jesus as being the Passover lamb. Well, he certainly fulfilled that. No question about that. But Jesus had to fulfill everything else, too. Jesus had to fulfill every Old Testament sacrifice and what it represented in order for him to be a worthy sacrifice, in order for him to fulfill the law. Because, like I said, if Jesus, in his work and his sacrifice and his greatest, what he did was, if there was anything that was uh, commanded or ordained under the Old Covenant that Jesus did not fulfill, then that means the Old Covenant is still better. So he had to fulfill everything. Well, one of the things that Jesus fulfilled was the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement is interesting because it tells us about how the sins of Israel could be covered for the following year. The following year, not the previous year, the following year. The Day of Atonement came once a year. Now, here's what's interesting. The Day of Atonement is told us in Leviticus chapter 16 and there in the surrounding chapters. And it tells us very specifically that it came as a result or came about at the uh, immediately following when uh, Aaron had two sons that died trying to offer sacrifices to God. Leviticus chapter 16 verse 1 says, now after Aaron's two sons died, God said, and that's where he instituted the day of atonement. And he gives some very specific instructions. He gives instructions about how that Aaron had to offer a sacrifice for himself first before he could do anything on behalf of the people. And then it says that he was to take two lambs. One is an offering for the people, and one is what's called a scapegoat. It was literally known as the goat that lives. Now, this goat that lives was to be turned loose and carried by somebody into the wilderness, but first the high priest had to pronounce curses on it, which represent the curses or the sins of the people and the curses that came upon them as a result of their disobedience to the word. Or to the law of God. So here where it speaks of Jesus, it you or speaks of the scapegoat, excuse me, what we call a scapegoat, it's talking about the goat that lives is to be sent to what would represent hell. Now some people stop right here and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor Mike, remember when Jesus was crucified, he said to the thief on the, on the cross, one of them that kind of stood up for him and said, we deserve this, but Jesus didn't do anything to deserve this punishment told the other guy, quit cursing Jesus and so forth. Jesus says to this guy, he, he said, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. Jesus said, I say unto you today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. And so some people will say, take that verse of scripture and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's got to mean Abraham's bosom. So Jesus is saying that he's going to Abraham's bosom that day. But that's not what it says. The word today, the word that's translated today is the, is literally, it literally means this day. So he's saying one of two things. He's either saying, I'm saying to you today, or I'm saying to you this day, or he's saying, and the second possibility is he's saying, I'm going today to paradise. Which is it? Well, the only thing that fits the other scriptures is Jesus saying, I'm telling you today 
period, or comma, you shall be with me in paradise. He's not saying he's going there immediately. He does get there, but he gets there three days from now. Because if Jesus went to paradise, who paid the judgment or who fulfilled the judgment or the punishment for sin? If Jesus went to paradise, he's only one part of the day of atonement. And that's the animal sacrifice. Who who paid the, the scapegoat part? Who fulfilled that part? Jesus has got to fulfill everything about the old covenant, which means he's got to fulfill both parts of the day of atonement sacrifice. Both the animal that dies and the animal that lives or is sent into the wilderness, that which represents hell. There's no other possibility. It has to happen. Now, folks, here's what I want you to understand. Uh, Let me read a verse of Scripture to you from Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. John sees Jesus on the Isle of Patmos. Verse 17, it says, John said, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead. Please notice that. I am he that liveth and was dead. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean Jesus was dead physically? And then he came back to life? Well, folks, if that's what it means, then let me ask you a question. Did Jesus die on the cross for the purpose of being raised again physically, resurrected physically, so that he could stay here on the earth? That would be the proof of his resurrection, wouldn't it? But Jesus was raised from the dead, not so that he could stay here on the earth. He made an appearance. Several, as a matter of fact. But Jesus was raised from the dead, not so that he could stay here on the earth, but so he could go and be seated at the right hand of God the Father. So then what makes Jesus any different in his resurrection to go to heaven than those who had died physically, like Abraham, who were taken by Jesus into the presence of God too? And besides that, the Bible says Jesus was the firstborn or first begotten from the dead. What about others that had been raised physically? What about Lazarus who had been raised from the dead? He predated Jesus in a physical resurrection. The resurrection cannot, therefore, be talking about physical resurrection. Alone, at least. It cannot just mean physical resurrection. It cannot just mean coming back from being physically dead to physically alive. Because Jesus was not physically alive in the same sense as he was before he died. He said to the disciples, handle me, a spirit has not flesh and bone like I have. He's not alive because of the blood. His blood had been shed. He says to himself, I'm not flesh and blood, I'm flesh and bone. So the resurrection can't just mean physical resurrection. It's impossible. Well, what does the resurrection mean then? It means he was resurrected from being spiritually or eternally dead. That's what he's saying here in Revelation chapter 1. I am he that liveth and was dead. Now notice what he says next. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Now he's not just talking about quality of life. He's talking about eternity. And he says this, amen, and I have the keys of hell and of death. How could he get the keys of hell and death if he just went to paradise? Abraham was in paradise. Did he have the keys of hell and death? We see the rich man went to paradise. The Old Testament saints were there. We know Moses and Elijah came from there to talk to Jesus before Jesus went to the cross. Did those guys have the keys of hell and death by being in paradise? No. So being in paradise doesn't give you the keys to hell and death. 
That must mean Jesus went somewhere where the keys to hell and death were to get them. There's only one possibility for that, and that's him going to hell. Yeah, but, but wait a minute, wait a minute. You only go to hell, not paradise, but you only go to hell, the place of the dead, if you're spiritually dead. How could Jesus be spiritually dead? He had to become death itself in order to pay the judgment or the price for sin. If he had just died on the cross and been raised physically, that would have covered sins from that point forward. But what about the sins prior to that? If Jesus, there's a, there's a scripture that always used to trouble me. It's in Genesis talking about when Adam and Eve fell. It says after God made skins for them, he showed them the sacrifice, he made skins, he drove them out of the garden, and he put a, an angel, a cherubim, with a flaming sword in front of the tree of life. And it looked, uh, it looked in, uh, in all directions and guarded in all directions. And the Bible says that the reason God did that was so that man would not come partake of the tree of life and stay in his fallen state or dead condition, spiritually dead condition forever. Now, what does that mean? That means you can stay in a spiritually dead condition forever. That means they could have partaken of the tree of life and gained eternal life from a standpoint of eternity, but not a change of nature. That's what would have happened if we had taken Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross without Jesus paying the price for sin. We could have been forgiven of sin from that point forward. But what are we going to do about the sin nature that came upon mankind because of Adam's sin? That's got to be paid for, too. You know, in, uh, in uh, Isaiah 53, it says Jesus was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. What's the difference in transgressions and iniquities? What's the difference there? Very simple. One simple difference. One is the sins you committed. The other is the sins that Adam committed. One is the sin nature that came upon man, and the other is the individual sin. The individual's sin. And if you had partaken of Jesus' sacrifice, his blood, to apply just to your individual sin, you still have to go to hell because of the sin nature. Because that sin nature has separated you from God. And that that has to be paid for. That has to be paid for. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Join us Easter Sunday at Foothill Family Church. Come, be a part of our family, as Pastor Mike Webb will bring a message about the hope that Jesus can bring. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWebb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Psalm 88. This is speaking prophetically about Jesus, and you'll see this. Verse 9. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. That means he's there more than one day. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Selah. Here's that word of praise again. Now, why in the world would there be a word of praise attached to, will you show wonders unto the dead? Because, yes, he did. 
Back to verse 10. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Oh, yeah. Praise God, they will. Shall loving kindness, shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave? Yep. Now, the grave here is a reference to hell. Or thy faithfulness in destruction? Yep, that's exactly where the life of God and the loving kindness of God operated. Shall thy wonders be known in the dark and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Yep. But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in thy morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Lord, why casteth off thy my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. This phrase is interesting, ready to die from my youth up, because you remember Jesus at age 12. He and his uh, parents go to Jerusalem. They leave. They offer the sacrifices that they're supposed to, and they leave town thinking that Jesus is with them, but he's not. He's still back in the temple. They go back three days later and find Jesus sitting there with the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and he's answering their questions, and, and they're marveling at his answers. And he's asking the, the religious leaders questions that they can't answer. Remember the story? His mother's really upset, as you would imagine any mother to be, going three days not knowing where your son is. His mother comes to him and says, Jesus, what in the world are you doing here? Don't ever do that to me again. And Jesus said, Mother, don't you know I must be about my father's business? It indicates this very same thing by prophecy hundreds of years prior to that point. Because from the point that Jesus was a youth, he understood what his plan and what God's plan and his purpose was for his life, and he was ready to die. That's what this is saying. From my youth up, I was ready to die. But then it says, while I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. Another translation says, I have borne thy terrors so that I am distracted. See, the Bible paints a picture of us for us of when Jesus is in hell for those three days before his resurrection, three days between the crucifixion and the resurrection. It paints a picture of us of Jesus suffering the wrath of God like waves crashing over and over and over again upon him. Well, what would the wrath of God look like? We see a little picture in what the Bible tells us in Revelation about the tribulation period, the seven years of tribulation. It's one calamity after another. Just bang, 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 bang. You ever been to the beach when the, the waves were high and they were just crashing? We were in Hawaii one time and there was a lady, that the, the, the waves were real high. It was just kind of a freak thing, maybe a storm somewhere else. And there was this lady that, that didn't realize what was going on and she got caught in the surf. And this, the, every time the wave would come, it would crash and it would roll her over and she couldn't get up. She couldn't get out. And Beth went and rescued her. And we'll never hear the end of that. <laughs> but wave after wave after wave, she, she couldn't move. She couldn't do anything. She couldn't get away. I was back in the hotel room. That's why Beth went to rescue her instead of me doing it. I can see some of you looking and say, well, what are you doing? I didn't see it. I was in the hotel room. Well, that's a similar picture that the Bible paints of us of Jesus paying the punishment or literally being the punishment. For sin, wave after wave after wave after wave after wave is crashing on Jesus to the point where it says in verse nine, I am wasted away. Remember Jesus on the cross, he said two the last two things he said, one was it is finished. And then he said, father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Why? It is finished. That's easy. He's saying my work here on the earth is done. The old covenant isn't even fulfilled yet, so he can't be talking about that. He's talking about it is finished, meaning the work of the 
living, I mean, the work of the, the animal sacrifice, uh, or that which was represented by the animal sacrifice. The day of atonement sacrifice, that part is finished. Now the scapegoat part is just about to start. Now, why would he have to commend his spirit into the hands of God if he's just going to paradise? That's a place of pleasure. Remember, Jesus tells us in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus was comforted. The rich man was tormented by the flames. So why is Jesus commending his spirit into the hands of God? I mean, it's like he's saying, okay, Father, I'm trusting you with my spirit. Why is he doing that if he's going to a place of comfort? Why is he doing that if he's going to paradise? What reason would there be for that? But if he's going to hell, if he becomes the substitute for mankind, for the sin nature of mankind, so that the punishment of death comes upon him so that he eternally dies. And he has no longer power to raise himself up. Now he's in the hands of God. And only God can do it. And if God doesn't do something, he's sunk forever. Folks, that's the death that Jesus died the Bible says in, in Isaiah chapter 53 in verse 10, it says he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Now, the word death is singular in the King James, but in the original Hebrew, the word death is plural. He made his grave with the wicked and the rich with his deaths, both physical and spiritual. And spiritual death is eternal death, just like spiritual life is eternal life. Verse 16 again, thy fierce wrath goeth over me and thy terrors have cut me off. Verse 16 says in another translation, it says, thy streams of wrath have cut me off. They have destroyed me. Now, folks, I want you to consider something for a minute. If Jesus knew this, I mean, this was in Psalms. He knew that he knew Psalm 88 was there. If he knew that this was what he was going to experience, if he knew this is what he was going to suffer. You think that might have had something to do with him sweating drops of blood in Gethsemane? You think maybe Jesus was sweating great drops of blood and agonizing and anguishing and having to be set, uh, having to be strengthened by an angel to finish the work? Do you think that had a connection maybe? Rather than just the physical suffering of the cross? Let me read a couple of verses from uh, Isaiah 53. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Those are the words, sicknesses and pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, folks, there are four specific things that it says Jesus paid for. Iniquities, transgressions, peace, and sickness. Four specific things. Don't tell me God's just saying, using two different words for the same word sin. This is too exact. No, it means individual sins and it means the sin nature that came upon the earth. Wherefore, by one man sinned into the world. That's Adam. And death passed upon all men. Because of Adam's sin, death, spiritual death, eternal death passed upon all men. Jesus had to pay for that. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
stopping sin nature. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. Can't be physical death. Because there's nothing different about what Jesus endured in being cut off from physical death or by physical death than Abraham or Isaac or any of the other Old Testament saints. It's got to be something more than that. I was talking about Jesus' time in hell. He's talking about Jesus dying spiritually or eternally. He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his deaths. Here's that word plural. Doesn't show it in the King James, but in the original translate, in the original language, it's plural. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Hebrew on this literally says he has made him sick. It's talking about Jesus paying the price for sickness. Doesn't mean that he had cancer. It means he paid the punishment for all sickness. Notice the next phrase. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Other translations say it this way. When thou hast made his soul an offering for sin, or thou shalt make his life a sin offering. Another translation says, though his soul take on itself guilt. I like that one. I think that's the closest to showing what really happened. He shall prolong his days and in the pleasure of his, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Let me read this from another translation. Through the travail of his soul shall he see light in fullness. And by his knowledge shall my servant bring justice to me and of their guilt shall he bear the burden. Folks, the Bible's pretty clear, in my opinion. You judge for yourself. But the Bible's pretty clear when you put these things together. Jesus shed his blood as the animal sacrifice to fulfill the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement for the animal that was killed. But he went to hell to fulfill the what we call the scapegoat's work. Now, here's, here's one of the things about the scapegoat. The important issue about the scapegoat is that he could never return. So he was taken. Whoever was given charge of the scapegoat, it was a, a, one of the priest's responsibilities. He took this animal so far into the wilderness where there was no possibility for the animal to ever return. Because the important issue is the judgment of sin has been laid upon the scapegoat so that the scapegoat carries it away once and forever. Never to return. The Bible says, gives us some information about what happened to Jesus. Because Jesus has committed his life unto the Father. He has been destroyed by the punishment of sin. He is eternally dead. Folks, I want you to understand this. He was just as spiritually dead as you and I were before we found Jesus. Without hope. Unless God undertakes. There's nothing that can be done. So what does the Bible tell us happens? It says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, Jesus was resurrected when we were justified. There came a point when the price was paid. There came an instant in time 
when the punishment for sin was satisfied. And at that moment, that's when the life of God came back to Jesus. That's when God caused him to be born again from the spiritually dead. That's why the Bible tells us he was the firstborn from the dead. He was the first begotten of many brethren. He was the first one to be born again. He was born again from spiritual death just as real as you and I are born again from spiritual death when we ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. It says that he was born again. Paul, in talking in, uh, in preaching in Acts chapter 13, in, in delivering a message, he speaks of the crucifixion and the resurrection as being the fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7, I think it is, where he says, God speaks from heaven and says, Thou art my beloved Son, this day have I begotten thee. Now, to our thinking, to the natural mind, that should be spoken when God caused Jesus to be born of Mary. But that's not when God said it. God said, this day have I begotten thee when the life of God came back upon Jesus when he was in hell and raised him from spiritual death to eternal life. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says Jesus was justified in spirit. How could he be justified unless he was spiritually dead? First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says Jesus was made alive in spirit. How do you make something alive that's not dead? That's why Colossians 1 verse 18 says Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. You can well understand now, because of these truths, why when Jesus is raised from the dead, he appears to the disciples. It's a whole new day. That's what Easter represents. It represents the paying and the doing away with of sin once and for all. If you're feeling guilty about something that's in your past, it's been dealt with. Jesus took our judgment to the pit of hell. And when the life of God came back upon him, that's when he took the keys of hell and death. And he was raised up and he appears to his disciples and says, guys, have I got good news for you? Receive the Holy Ghost. He breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Ghost. And their lives are changed. The only thing the devil can do when it comes to the issue of sin, the only thing the devil can do to try to hold you back is to either deceive you about what power you have over sin or to deceive you about what has happened to your sins and the punishment of those sins in your past. That's all he can do. And if you don't let him do those two things, that doesn't mean you'll never stumble, doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake. But every time you make a mistake, pick yourself back up and say, thank God my sins have been paid for. If you don't let him do those two things, either deceive you about committing sin or deceive you about the punishment of sin. If you don't allow him to deceive you in either of those two areas, that's where you can reign in life by Jesus Christ. Thank God Jesus was willing to pay the price. Thank God he was willing to pay the price. There's nothing more important than the blood of Jesus. For by it the punishment for spiritual death was paid, and therefore we are redeemed from sin, sickness, and poverty. Thanks for joining us today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Join us Easter Sunday at Foothill Family Church. Come, be a part of our family, as Pastor Mike Webb will bring a message about the hope that Jesus can bring. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWebb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.